We are talking this month on all our Sundays on the idea of, I'm looking for a church that's... And Brother Ty talked last week about a church that seeks truth, a church that's founded on truth, that makes truth a priority. And this week we're going to talk about a church that is evangelistic and looking for a church that is active in the community and active in sharing and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we begin this morning, I want to first define terms and let's make sure everybody's on the same page when we talk about what evangelism is. What comes to your mind when you think about evangelism? When you think about church work and the church fulfilling the mission that Christ gave it, do you think about Bible studies? Do you think about uh, church events? Do you think about getting together with other Christians and doing things? Those are great things to do, but that's not really evangelism. Do you think about getting involved politically or in our community, in our country, standing up for, for freedom of religion, standing up for the, the things that are taught in Scripture? Those things may be great to do, but that's not really evangelism. Do you think about giving? You know, each Sunday we, we take a, a free will offering and you give and, and obviously those monies are used to help support evangelistic work and to spread the gospel. But in your mind, does evangelism equate to just writing a check or just putting money in a plate? In your mind, is it inviting someone to a church event, to church? Is that evangelism to you? I'm being evangelistic if I'm inviting people to church. Inviting people to church is great. It may give them an opportunity to hear the gospel preached, but just inviting someone to church really isn't evangelism. Do you think about numbers? Do you think about mega churches? Do you think about churches that are evangelistic are churches that obviously they have made an impact on a lot of people. They've got a lot of people coming. They've got huge numbers. Is that what you think of when you think of evangelism? Obviously, if a church is being evangelistic and they're sharing the gospel and some people that are, that are hearing that gospel respond and are saved, then numbers by default are going to potentially grow. But just having a large number of people doesn't make a church evangelistic. So what is evangelism? Well, Jesus defines it himself in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 when he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm going to tell you evangelism very simply is teaching Jesus to someone else. Teaching Jesus to someone else. What is the gospel specifically? You remember Paul defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he tells us that the gospel or the good news of Jesus is simply the story of why Jesus came to live in this life, to die on that cross, to take our sins upon himself, to, that he was buried for three days and that he arose from the grave with new life, promising that anybody that follows him can have that new life too. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And evangelism in its simplest form is simply sharing that great message of salvation through Jesus with someone else. And so a church that's evangelistic is a church that's going to make preaching the gospel a priority. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus in this, what we would call great commission, he really gives us Two parts of that mission. One is to go and to teach all nations. That means to make them disciples, to teach them about Jesus, to bring them to Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But then when we baptize them and we bring them in, we teach them to observe the things of Christ. And so I also want to note that evangelism is not just the sharing of the gospel. It's not just the sharing of what Jesus did for people, but it's also teaching people how to live as Christians and so just large numbers isn't really what it's about, but changed lives is what it's about. 
Just having people in the pew is not really what it's about, but having people in the pew that really want to live for Christ, that's what it's about. Evangelism is really trying to make a difference in the lives of the men and women around us. And all of us have different spheres of influence. All of us have different people that we can impact. And so if we're looking for a church this morning, we ought to be looking for a church that is making it its mission to impact the lives of men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a congregation today, we ought to be seeking to be that church that impacts the men and women in our life and in our sphere of influence with that same great gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, we see an example of the first century church. And we're going to talk this morning about some characteristics of an evangelistic church. And we're going to use the New Testament church as our example. We want to restore in the 21st century what the first century church was doing. And so I want to look at this example here in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Now, if we back up to Acts chapter 3, before we get here, we have Peter and John. We're going to talk about this story in a moment. But Peter Peter and John heal this man uh, that was an invalid man. And they heal him. And then Peter begins to preach a sermon to the people about repentance and about Jesus. And the chief priests and the rulers of the Jews don't like the things that Peter is preaching. And so in Acts chapter 4, they bring Peter and John, they bring them before the council, and they're going to ask them some questions. In verse 7 it says, When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And then in verse 10, Peter is, is answering. He says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole, speaking of the man that he and John had healed. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter and John were out preaching the gospel. They were out teaching Jesus, and they got punished for it. They got taken into custody and brought before the Sanhedrin council and asked a lot of hard questions and noticed that they did not change their position or their resolve. They said, it is through Jesus of Nazareth that we are preaching these things, and there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, They called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The council said, all right, you can leave, we'll let you go, but we don't want you teaching in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. And look at their response. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They had a dedication to the concept of sharing Jesus with others, and they did not stop. We move on to Acts chapter 5. We find in verse 12, this is the same general time period. These events happened just after uh, what we just read. It said, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. They continued to go out. Now, of course, they had the benefit of miraculous gifts at this point, and so the apostles were, were doing many wonders and signs, and they were healing people, and they were helping people. They were doing a lot of great things for the people, but notice what it says. Believers were the more added to the Lord. Their evangelism was effective. No matter what the, the Jews tried to, to say to them, to stop them, to get them to, to stop teaching in the name of Jesus, they continued, and believers continued to be added to the church. In verse 27 of Acts chapter 5, it says, When they had brought them, they set them before the council. They are 
taken into custody again because of the, the spreading of the gospel. The high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. So again, they are taken into custody. Again, they are threatened and asked why they are continuing to teach in his name. And you know what their response is? We're going to obey God and not man. We have to do this. It is that much a part of them and their mission and their purpose to teach the things of Jesus that they would not stop. And then we see this passage in verses 40 through 42. It says, To him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. So now they have beaten them and again told them to stop. And they let them go, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Now that's a church that's evangelistic. That's a church that wants to impact the lives of men and women. That's a church that wants to share Jesus with others more than anything else. A church that has members that will go out daily speaking to anyone that they can about Jesus, no matter what obstacles they face, no matter who tries to stop them, that they will not be stopped and that they will continue to teach Jesus in every opportunity that they have. That's a church that's evangelistic. And so I want to talk this morning about some characteristics of an evangelistic church. Number one, an evangelistic church has a genuine love for Jesus. And I think we can see that with the first century church. That they loved Jesus more than anything. Now, these were the apostles, of course, leading this charge. Those same apostles that had walked with Christ. They had seen and heard all the things that he taught. They had watched his miracles. They had seen him die. They had seen his resurrected self. So you may be looking at that and going, well, they had a benefit that we don't. Because they actually walked with Christ. And they actually saw all the amazing things that he did. But that genuine love for him prompted and sparked everything that they did from that point on in their life. And even though we don't have the, the benefit of literally walking with Jesus in the flesh or literally seeing those things that he has done, we do have those things written down in the, in the scriptures and the holy scriptures that we can trust. And if we've been saved, if we've given our life over to Jesus Christ, then we have no excuse for not having that same type of love and passion for him. He is our savior. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, that kind of a genuine love for Jesus starts here with the recognition that we're sinners. It starts here with the recognition that you and I need to be saved. That we needed to have our relationship with God restored because of the sins, the mistakes, the iniquities that we committed. And that Jesus' purpose in coming to this earth was not only to die for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And if Jesus was willing to do that for us, it ought to beg the question in our minds, what are we willing to do for him? The first century church answered that question. They were willing to go to any length to teach about him and to spread his gospel. What are we willing to do? John put it like this in 1 John 4, 19. He said, we love him because he first loved us. And if you really have a true appreciation for the love that Jesus Christ has shown you, if you have a real appreciation for the depths of sin and darkness that you were in before Christ saved you, then you ought to have love, a genuine strong love for Jesus that prompts you to want to share his great salvation with others. Second thing I want to mention to you about, a, about an evangelistic church is that an evangelistic church has a genuine love for people. 
It's not just enough to love Jesus and to recognize that we've been saved by him and because of the love he's shown for us that we love him back, but we've also got to share that love with our fellow man and recognize the need to see people in a different way. John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. You know, if we live our life and we try to personally live the kind of life that God has called us to, we try to do all the right things, say all the right things, make all the right decisions, but we're not out there actually loving people, Jesus says that's how people are going to know that you're mine, is by the way that you love. Because we'll destroy all the credibility for all the other great decisions that we make in life if we don't simply show love to people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verses 10 and 11, Paul wrote this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Recognize what Paul is saying here. Paul is looking at people in a different way. Paul's love for Jesus and love for people has prompted him to want to be evangelistic because he knows what's going to happen to them if he's not. He knows what's going to happen to people if Christian people don't witness, if Christian people aren't evangelistic, if the church isn't evangelistic. And he said it's because of the terror of the Lord that we persuade men. And I want you to recognize that in the 21st century, nothing has changed. There is still a judgment day that is coming. There is still a world outside of these walls that needs saving. The terror of the Lord is still very real. The two eternal destinations are still very real. Every man and woman that lives, that has lived or will live, every one of us will face one of those two paths for eternity. And it's based upon the choices that we make here. And so while we may be seeking to make the best choices for us here, we also need to love people enough to recognize that if we can help them to change the path of destruction that they're on and to start that walk towards the path of eternal life in heaven, that that is our ability, our honor, and our duty to do. As Paul said, we persuade men because we know the terror of the Lord. And so an evangelistic church is a church that not only has a genuine love for Jesus, but has a genuine love for people. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation to look at people around you in a different way. Not simply as your family member, as your friend, as your neighbor, as your coworker, as your acquaintance. Look at them as a soul. Look at them as someone who needs to be shown kindness and compassion and love. Look at them as someone who needs to, if the opportunity presents itself, that may need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from your lips. And if we can change the way that we see people to recognize the need that there is to be evangelistic, then we can be that same kind of church that we see in the first century. Number three, an evangelistic church does not compromise truth. Now, we're not going to harp on this because Brother Ty talked about truth a lot last week. But in Galatians chapter 1, 8 through 10, it says, But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You know, there's a, a temptation in church work and in the religious world a lot of times to want to cater to what man wants. To want to cater to what 
people want to hear. And there are churches that have a lot of people. But maybe the message that they're, te- that they're teaching is not really the truth that we see in, in Scripture. There's things like the prosperity gospel. You've heard of that? Different from the gospel, there are preachers and teachers out there that will teach things like the prosperity gospel, where if you give to Christ, well, you'll become blessed and prosperous and all of that financially and monetarily and materialistically and all that will come back to you. I want you to tell you it's a blessed life to be a Christian. And if you live with the the basic principles that God outlines in Scripture, a lot of times you will even see those blessings physically, but that's not what God has promised us. In fact, what we saw in the first century was those Christians were in a time where they were being tortured and where they were being killed for their faith. It wasn't about prosperity. It wasn't about, I'm going to be a Christian so that I can be rich and get all these physical blessings. No. They were a Christian even though they faced persecution and death. And the same should be true in the 21st century. So if somebody's preaching something other than the truth, that we are all sinners before God. You know, there's people that like to water down the gospel and not talk too much about sin. Or not talk too much about hell. Not talk too much about the negative sides of the equation. But you know the negative side? The reason the positive side is so great is because of the negative side. You ever think about that? If there wasn't a negative side, it wouldn't make the positive side so great. The reason why eternal life in heaven sounds so great and we want that so much is because we recognize the alternative. We recognize what happens if we don't have that. I want you to know there are two paths in eternity. There is a heaven, there is a hell. And we've got to be a church that doesn't compromise truth, that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ, a recognition of man's sin, a recognition of the need to repent and to change and to have our lives transformed by the power of the gospel and to walk each and every day seeking to be that faithful Christian that God has called us to be. John 17, verse 17, Jesus told us where we can find that truth. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. And he was praying to God and he said, thy word is truth. And so if you're ever in doubt about what truth is, you only need to look one place. And that's God's word. Because God's word holds truth for all of us. An evangelistic church not only has a genuine love for Jesus, a love for people, and doesn't compromise truth, but an evangelistic church evangelizes through public teaching. And this is an example that we see in the first century. In Acts chapter 2, you remember on the day of Pentecost, as all those Jews are gathered together, and Peter gets up and he begins to preach to them. And we're not going to read the whole sermon, but I want to read you the conclusion. Peter is publicly preaching Jesus to this crowd of people. And he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want you to recognize Peter was publicly teaching the gospel to a crowd of people that didn't believe. A crowd of unbelievers and he was teaching Jesus to them. And he taught them about sin. He taught them about the need to repent. He taught them about the need to be baptized and have their sins washed away. He showed them the way to get off the path towards destruction and on the path towards eternal life through Jesus. And he did that in a very public format. We've got uh, Sunday and Wednesday worship services. We've got public formats here at the church where we preach. There ought to be gospel that's preached. It doesn't mean every sermon has to be gospel. There's other things to teach the church. 
but gospel should be preached from the pulpit. But it goes beyond just the pulpit, but also in our personal lives, there may be opportunities where we have the chance to talk to a group of people, and we ought to take that chance to talk to a group of people about Jesus. We see that example in the first century, and we recognize 3,000 souls were saved here in Acts chapter 2. We see another story in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is in Athens, and he's teaching a crowd of, of unbelievers. And you remember the story where he sees the altar to the unknown God. And in verse 17, verse 20, or chapter 17, verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the un- unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And so Paul uses something that, that they were worshiping that was wrong, that wasn't Jesus, that wasn't the true God, and he used that as a starting point to then teach them truth. And he did that in a public way. And so I just want us to recognize that as the first century church taught the gospel publicly and evangelized in a public way, so the 21st century church should do that as well. But an evangelistic church also teaches privately through what we might term as private studies. We see this in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, uh, Paul says, How I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I taught in multiple ways. I not only taught you publicly when all of you were together, when big groups of you were together, but I also taught privately in homes, in houses, studying the scriptures, talking about Jesus. We see in Acts chapter 8 an example of Philip doing this with the Ethiopian eunuch. And we remember that story how he approaches him and the eunuch is there on his chariot and he's reading out of Isaiah. And uh, he's, he's reading there, he doesn't understand what he's reading and so he's going to ask Philip to help. And there in verse 34 it says, The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture... And preached unto him Jesus. Philip used the scriptures, the knowledge that that person may have had. That that eunuch had as limited as it may have been. Not understanding what the Old Testament scripture was talking about. Not understanding who the Messiah was. And Philip took that opportunity to study privately with this man. And brought him from where he was to teaching him about Jesus. About the great message of the gospel. So I just want us to recognize the first century church used private studies like you and I might do today. An evangelistic church today should do that as well. We should not only be teaching the gospel publicly, but we should be teaching the gospel privately with people, studying people with people in their homes, teaching them about Jesus. And that's not just for the leadership of the church. That's for each and every single one of us. That we all have people who we may be able to study with. We all have people who need to be studied with. And that's something the first century church did. In Acts chapter 18... We see another example of this. This is a little bit of a different example because Apollos was a man who was teaching. And he was teaching Jesus. He was a believer in Jesus. But he didn't have the fullness of the correct doctrine of truth. He was still teaching John's baptism. And we see a couple of people, Priscilla and Aquila, that take Apollos aside privately and teach him the fullness of the truth of Jesus' doctrine. 
In Acts 18 and verse 24, it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And so I just want us to recognize that of being evangelistic through private Bible studies can go across the spectrum from people who have no knowledge, people who have some knowledge, to people who are very close to the truth, but not quite there. And our efforts to evangelize, our efforts to share the fullness of the truth of the gospel with people is so important in these private settings. Number six, an evangelistic church not only evangelizes in public, not only evangelizes through private studies, but evangelizes through good works. And that's something we see in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 3, told you we'd talk a little bit about this story where Peter and John healed this man. Starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So we have Peter and John here, and they're out doing the work. And this comes just after, of course, Acts chapter 2, where we see 3,000 souls were saved. We see daily those Christians were meeting together. They were being taught by the apostles. They were continuing to do the work. And then Peter and John here meet this, this invalid man. And he's asking for money. He's asking for them to give him something that he can use, I'm sure, to buy food and buy those things that he may need. Listen to what Peter and John say. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now I want us to recognize here that Peter and John evangelized. They were able to teach Jesus... And again, we talked about how Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5 are all connected. Where immediately after this, Peter gets up and he begins to teach. And this man's before them and they recognize the power of what's been done. But Peter and John are using this good work as an opportunity to share the gospel. Now I recognize it's different in the 21st century in that we don't have the miraculous gifts anymore. So we can't see an invalid person and heal them and then use that as an opportunity to teach Jesus. But we can do things that are similar to that. We can see needs that people have and meet them as an opportunity to share the gospel. We can look for people in our community, family members, friends, acquaintances, co-workers who are struggling in some way, who maybe have some kind of physical need, need somebody just to be there for them, to support them in some way or to help them in some way. And if you and I as the church are looking for those opportunities to meet the need that someone has, then a lot of times that will naturally allow us an opportunity to teach Jesus. You know why? It goes back to that concept of love. Of loving people. You ever been in a situation where someone's helped you? Ever been in a situation where someone has stepped up, supported you, met a need that you had, was there for you? How'd that make you feel? Did it make you annoyed at them, not want to hear them, not want to be around them? I'm guessing no, right? When somebody does good things for us, it generally provokes good feelings in us for that person. It makes us like that person. It makes us trust that person. And when we do those good things for other people, guess what? 
people are looking at us with those good feelings, with liking us, with building trust with us. And that trust is key. Because as we build that trust with people, it gives us opportunities to then share what's really important. And that's our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if they don't ever take that, does it make the good deed suddenly not as important because they didn't respond to the gospel? No. Good works are great at all times. Good things, doing good things for people, that's never a bad thing to do. But it gives us an opportunity to be evangelistic. And that's what the first century church did. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice what Peter says here, that the way that we live around unbelievers, our lifestyle, our decisions, our choices, our honesty with them, the way that we interact with them, our good works around them, they're looking at that. They're beholding those things. They're seeing those things. And our goal ought to be that through our good works, which other people are seeing, that we could lead some to glorify God. That should be our goal with good works. And so an evangelistic church doesn't just teach the church publicly, doesn't just get in the homes and teach the gospel privately, but it also uses good works and good deeds with people in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And an evangelistic church evangelizes as well through relationships. In John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42, it says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah's which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now we've read this story. You've probably heard this story, right, of when Andrew brings Peter. And the application a lot of times is made here. Look at what Peter was able to do in Acts chapter 2. We talked about that, where he preaches that sermon, 3,000 souls are saved. Maybe never would have happened if Andrew hadn't introduced him to Jesus. But I want us to go a little deeper on that and consider the fact that this was a relationship that Andrew had already in place. Andrew already had a relationship with Peter as his brother. And so Andrew, having learned what was truly important, having learned that life-altering fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth really is the Messiah, that Jesus really is the one, Andrew did, that, did not hold that to himself. He used the relationship that he had with Peter... And he shared that because he had the relationship built. And Peter, being his brother, did not hesitate. He listened. He went with Andrew. He met Jesus. The rest is history. The church is made up of people. The church is people. People who have relationships already in place. People who have relationships with family, with friends, with acquaintances, with coworkers, with whoever that may be. In the first century church, what they did was they shared the gospel and Jesus with those people that they already had a relationship with. And so an evangelistic church is made up of people who are willing to share Jesus with those that they have relationships with, especially in their family. Now let's look at another example. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. You remember Acts chapter 10 is about the first Gentile convert named Cornelius... And it says here, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and his near friends. 
And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Now I recognize here Cornelius hadn't become a Christian yet, so it's a little bit of a different scenario. But I just want us to recognize that, remember, the scriptures talked about Cornelius as being a devout man, a man that prayed to God. He was already a religious man. And when he knew that Peter was going to come to share the message of the gospel with him, you know what Cornelius did? He called his family members and he called his friends. And he said, I've got something you need to hear. I don't know exactly what he said, but he brought them to his home. And Peter came in and then Peter preached the gospel. And then the scripture says that not only Cornelius, but all his household responded to the gospel and was baptized. And so the first century church, they were evangelistic by using the relationships that they already had in place. Not only with family members, but with their friends. But then we can also see the story of Jesus. In many instances, as Jesus himself built relationships for the purpose of sharing his message with them. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, It came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now we recognize that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. There's other concerns for for Christian people today that maybe Jesus didn't, didn't face. Although Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, He was perfect. We're not perfect people. So there may be situations that we don't need to put ourselves in. There may be people that we don't need to hang around if it's going to cause us to sin. But I want us to recognize the principle here. Jesus said, I didn't come for those that were well, for those that were healthy spiritually. They don't need my message. I came for the ones who were sick. I came for the ones who were hurting. I came for the ones that need the message. And Jesus, the Son of God himself, was willing to sit down and eat with the lowest of lows, with those people that the rest of society looked down upon and raised their nose up at. And Jesus sat down with them and he ate with them and he talked with them and visited with them. You know why? Not because Jesus wanted to participate in the sinful things that they were, that they were doing or known for. He did that because he wanted to share his message of salvation with them. Because they were the ones who truly needed that message of salvation. Of course, the picture for us is that all of us are sinners. All of us truly need that. Every single person needs that message of redemption and of salvation. But not only can we use relationships that we already have, but I believe as an evangelistic church, a church that's really being evangelistic, will have members that are building relationships with people with the intent of sharing the gospel of Jesus, with the intent of building that trust that we talked about, to being able to then say... I need to talk to you about something important. And if you had a stranger knock on your door and said, I need to talk to you about something important, or you had a friend that you had spent time with, that you had built trust with, say the same thing, which one are you more likely to listen to? Which one are you more likely to consider what they have to say more seriously, the stranger at the door or the friend that you have a relationship with? And I think the answer should be obvious. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing to knock on a door. and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying an evangelistic church is a church that has members who are building relationships with people so that they can share the gospel with them. Now let me tell you what happens sometimes. is Christians sometimes feel like, well, we need to you know, stay away, abstain from all appearance of evil. Do you know what happens if you, do, if, if you lock yourself in your house 
and you only ever associate with Christian people, you know how many souls you're going to bring to Christ? Zero. You know how evangelistic you're going to be? You may do a lot of other great things. You may have a lot of great Christian fellowship and all that's great. But you know how evangelistic you're going to be? Not at all. We can't do that. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. And we need to be in the world in the sense that we are trying to impact people and build relationships with them, do good deeds for them, make friends with people for the purpose, that higher purpose and higher calling that Jesus has shown us here in this passage so that we can eventually get to that point where we can have the most important conversation that we can have with them. And maybe they'll have a little more incentive to listen to us because we've built some credibility with them. A church that's evangelistic is a church that uses relationships to share the gospel. And finally, a church that's evangelistic is a church that will never stop evangelizing. We saw in that story in Acts chapter 5, there was nothing that the Jews could do. There was nothing that the rulers could do. There was no law that could stand in their way. The first century church continued to be evangelistic. It says, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, you ought to be looking for a church that doesn't stop. You ought to be looking for a church that doesn't get, get stopped by the obstacles of, of other gospels or compromising truth or catering to mankind or stopped by the laws of a land or stopped by the prevailing uh, social theory of what's moral and what's not moral. A church that's evangelistic is a church that puts all of that stuff to the wayside and continues doing the mission that Jesus has given it to do no matter what gets in its way. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the type of church that evangelizes, is a church that will never stop. That's the type of church that's successful and that sees fruit from the work, is a church that doesn't stop, that continues to look for opportunities. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 35, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Jesus said, lift your eyes up and look. The opportunities are all around you. The field are, is ready to be harvested. It is there. We just need people that are going out and that are doing the work. And I want to tell you, the world today needs churches that are evangelistic. Our country needs churches that are evangelistic. This community here needs churches that are evangelistic, that prioritize that mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Jesus said the opportunities are endless. The fields are white. All we need is people who are willing to do that work. All we need is, is churches who are willing to prioritize that in the 21st century as much as the church did in the 1st century. In Matthew 9, 37, this is what Jesus' call was to you and to me. He said, then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus wanted you and wanted me to be laborers in his harvest. Jesus wants us as a church today to be evangelistic. He wants us as individuals to be a part of a church that is evangelistic. He wants people and churches who are willing to see the opportunities that are out there and make it a priority to share that message. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, are you a part of a church that's evangelistic? 
And if you're a part of this church, I want to ask you, are you involved in the evangelistic efforts that this congregation is a part of? And can we be more involved? And can we do more evangelistic work than we're doing? Is there a way to see more opportunities to bring more laborers to work in the harvest of the Lord? He is asking and calling for us to be a church that is evangelistic. And I want to encourage you this morning to give serious thought as to how you can do that, how you can apply the things that we've talked about this morning. And as JR is going to talk about this afternoon, some other ways to apply the things that we've talked about today to be evangelistic here, that I want to ask you to truly consider how your individual involvement can make a world of difference in a church and in a congregation that impacts the community for Christ.